Romans 12 is our text tonight. Romans chapter 12. If you were here last week, you know why we're taking a little break from our eschatology series, and we'll get back to that next week with our study of heaven. Uh, and in the interim, we decided to take a couple of weeks to look at a great chapter of Romans. Romans 12, the first uh, eight verses we looked at on Sunday morning last week because it talks about living sacrifices and uh, give, giving your body a, as a living sacrifice. That's your spiritual act of worship. We talked about what all that meant. And then after that, after the first eight verses, Romans 12 kind of gets, well, it really gets different. Uh, it's kind of a strange list, a random list. Uh, don't seem to be connected to each other, just a list of things that Christians are supposed to do. Uh, so I compared it to a to-do list and called the sermon a Christian's to-do list. So we'll work through it in that fashion. A couple of differences between it and my to-do lists. Uh, when I get a to-do list at home, I kind of look over and prioritize and decide which one's hardest and easiest and which one I can tackle first and uh, what ones I've got the material to do and all of that, and then I work through them. And every time I get one finished, I go back to my list and take the highlighter and mark it off. You know, just in case she comes home while I'm working on this, she'll, she'll know I've been working on it. But I check them off as I'm going and finally get them all done. Uh, sometimes get them all done. Uh, this list... Isn't like that. We we can't read this last week and tonight and go home and say, all right, I'm going to work on this one first and work on it till we got it and then check it off. Uh, it's not that not that kind of list. It is a uh, constant list, if you will, and we don't work on them one at a time. We really work on all of them at once. And I know that's kind of hard to keep in our head, but. If we read this periodically and see the definition of what a Christian is supposed to do, according to the Apostle, uh, they'll be in our mind and we'll work on them and we'll get better at them. Uh, we never check any of them off, I don't think. Uh, I know some people who are a lot better at some of them than others, but I don't think any Christian ever checks one off and says, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm done working on that one. Uh, it's something we continually work on. I also stressed last week that I think we ought to work, think about not just defining these things, but applying them. How do you do that? Uh, so let me remind you of that and suggest that again. Each one of these, when we read them tonight, uh, ask yourself, how am I doing on that one? You know, these, this is Christian's to-do list. So ask yourself how you're doing and then ask yourself, how could I do better? Uh, maybe you could make some notes for yourself that, yeah, i gotta, I got to try better on that one. Um, so anyhow, that's what we're talking about, the to-do list. We got through five of them last week, I think, and we're ready for verse 11. Uh, I guess we should read the five we got we talked about last week. Love must be sincere or love people sincerely. Uh, hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And honor one another above yourselves. So I think that's the five we got covered. So, number six. And from here on, some of them need to be combined. Uh, I probably should have done some slides and combined them so you could see. But uh, there's, there's three uh, 
short ones here, uh, actually two and a half, in verse 11, it says, Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. So he tells you two things, and then he tells you the, the uh, arena that you're supposed to do that in. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. So we could reword that into one thing maybe and say serve the Lord uh, with zeal and spiritual fervor. Now, of course, we don't use the word fervor too often these days or zeal matter. Uh, so let's define those a little bit. Uh, the zeal part is really the Greek word diligence. You, you stick to it. You stay after it. Uh, up in verse 8 that we looked at uh, a couple weeks ago, or on Sunday morning, uh, verse 8. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. Okay? So that's this word, with zeal. Continually, all the time, stay after it. Uh, be diligent about it. Uh, with zeal adds a little emphasis there, I think. Uh, I thought if you describe it in terms of an employee, some of you have somebody at work like that. Hopefully you're one that worked like that, uh, that's a zealous employee. Uh, somebody that works with zeal, it, you know, gets there early, leaves a little late perhaps, uh, doesn't slack off, stays at it all day, does anything that needs to be done. You think, that's a zealous employee. I thought of a guy that I had, an employee a long time ago. He worked on the assembly line. But he was the kind of guy that he wanted to keep the assembly line going. And if we were short of part, uh, and we told him, or production control told him it wouldn't be there for a few days or something, he was liable to take his lunch hour and go to Radio Shack and bring that part back and say, we can keep the line going now. Uh, he was a zealous employee. Uh, so anyhow, uh, that's zeal. And then the, the second part is spiritual fervor. Uh, that implies kind of the same thing as zeal, but it's more like really sticking to it, staying at it continually all the time, never slacking off. Uh, one description I read in one of the commentaries I was looking at, it would be like an athlete that never takes a playoff. You know, it just always is at it. You get fervor for the game. Uh, doesn't take it easy. Doesn't turn it in half done. Doesn't just mail it in or not show up. Uh, at it all the time. So Paul says, with zeal and with fervor, do what? Serve the Lord. Okay, he gives us the the the, the specific place we're supposed to do that. Now, it's good to be zealous and fervor, fervent about your job, about your hobby, about anything like that. But Paul's saying a Christian is like that in serving the Lord. Uh, these are the kind of people that we really like around here. Now, we really like everybody, but there's some folks that they're just a pleasure. You know, they're, they're servants. They take a job, 
And they take it seriously. You don't have to ask them twice. You don't have to bother them all the time and say, when's that going to happen? They have zeal and fervor. Uh, they, they get it done. They're there every time. You don't have to walk down there to see if Norma's got the safari wing open. They take care of it. The people working in there in general are that way. Uh, that's good. That's how we ought to serve the Lord. Uh, okay, now, and the other thing I jotted down here, this zealous and, and, and fervor stuff, it doesn't mean you got to jump up and down all the time. Yeah, it doesn't mean you got to be uh, go crazy and be wound up completely crazy all the time. And some people do this pretty low-key. They serve with zeal and with fervor, but, you know, they're not overly demonstrative and all that. That's not what it's talking about. It's getting the job done. It's serving with zeal and with fervor. Um, all right, I think that's all the notes I had on those three little pieces. All right, now let's, let's uh, put the next three together, too. Because they really seem kind of random. Uh, this is the text or the scripture for the women's conference. Be joyful in hope. Then he says, patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. Okay? When you first read those, they don't seem like they're overly connected. Uh, just three kind of random things. Uh, but I think if we put them together, we see he's talking about Trusting God, depending on God, especially when things are difficult. Okay? I'd lump those three together, trust and depend on God, especially in difficult times. Okay? It's not about the being joyful. It's not about being patient. It's not about praying. It's all three of those are the kind of things you do when things are difficult if you trust in God. When things are difficult, if you trust in God, you have joy in hope. You're not joyful over the circumstances. And the women are looking at me like, don't go there. We, we spent a whole weekend. We understand all about joy and hope. But uh, the rest of us need to understand that. The joy doesn't come from things going well. That's what he's talking about. He says, be uh, well, I can't find that. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. When we're in this affliction, which I think he's talking about in all three of those, the joy comes from the hope, the future that we know is going to be better than this. And maybe not even in this life is it going to be better, but it's going to be better. Yeah. Uh, one illustration I read talked about uh, a young woman that finds out she's pregnant, and she's all excited. I had one young woman tell me this morning that they're pregnant and you know, looking forward to it, and she was just beaming. Okay, One response to that would be to think, okay, now, what are you so happy about? You're going to gain 30 pounds. Your back's going to hurt. You're going to go through excruciating pain. 
So what are you so happy about? That they're happy about the hope. The joy comes from what's going to come. Yeah, I've got to go through that. But it's going to be good when little Junior gets here. Okay? Uh, and in affliction, in the times when there's no joy in what we're going through, Paul says one of a Christian's to-do lists is to be joyful because of what you know is coming in hope. And then he says, be patient in affliction. Okay? Sometimes we get in a mess. We say, okay, I'm going to trust in the future. And we may even say a prayer or two, which is the next thing. But after a week, if things haven't gotten better, we may start to fold up. Okay? Paul said, no, be patient. In affliction, your joy comes from the hope that you've got. Now be patient in affliction, no matter what happens. Uh, hang in there. It may take a long time. Uh, we could spend a long time looking at the characters in the Bible that took a lot longer than they thought. Joseph, pretty good example. And one day he thought, I'm going to get out of prison tomorrow. I just sent the guy back to the castle, and he's going to remember me, and everything's going to be all right. Didn't happen. He spent years more there. Okay. So Paul's advice is Christians are patient in affliction. We can't just read the scripture and say a prayer and the problems be solved the next day. Okay. Third thing he puts in this prescription is to be faithful in prayer. I think that's part of being patient. I think that's one reason I think they're related. Uh, our tendency may be to say a couple of prayers. Pray about it. Pray about it the next day. Say, all right, things ought to be getting better here pretty quick. No, you might have to pray for a long, long time. Uh, tackle a month to start with and see how that works. Be faithful in prayer is what he says. He doesn't just say pray. I mean, we know we're supposed to pray. But on his to-do list, in times of affliction, be faithful in prayer. Don't get discouraged. Don't let despair get you. Be faithful in prayer. All right. Um, next. Share, uh, yeah. Share with God's people who are in need. And practice hospitality. And I think those are probably two different things in this case, so we won't combine them. Uh, share with God's people who are in need. Okay? Now, we know we're supposed to be uh, generous. We're supposed to help others. We're supposed to do good, especially to the household of faith, all of that. Uh, and here we're supposed to share with God's people who are in need. Now, the hard part here is not necessarily knowing who God's people are. I think we usually can draw that line pretty well. Uh, the trouble is some people draw it so hard that think we shouldn't help anybody else. Yeah. I don't think that's on the to-do list exactly that way. Uh, I think we ought to put our emphasis on the household of faith, do that first, 
but I think it's okay to help other people too. That's not the hard part, though. There are very few people that draw that hard a line and say, no, I'm just going to help Christians. The hard part is the in need. Uh, The hard part is that discernment of knowing who's in need. Folks that have worked in the the benevolent world here uh, are giving me a silent amen over there. That's the hard part. Okay? I mean, it's hard enough with the people that come to the building asking for food or gas or money or whatever. Uh, it's hard to discern if this is a true story or not. And we get a whole lot of that. Uh, people just, you know, we have more phone calls than we get drive-ins anymore, but we still get phone calls. And they want to know if we'll help them with this or that. Some of them start right into their story and tell all the bad things that are going on and how horrible it is and how they need just this to get by. And some of them just cut right to the chase. We've got one that calls every couple of months, and her opening line is, do you help people? And I always think, that's a trick question of some sort, you know. No, no, we don't help people. (laughs) I don't know what we do here for sure, but we we don't help people. Um, But anyhow, she asks that every time. That's her first question. Okay. And uh, some of those I recognize like that when I get the call. And my usual response is, uh, no, we're just barely able to help our own members here. And I think that's scriptural enough. We're supposed to help God's people. We're supposed to share with God's people who are in need. But even with among God's people, deciding who's in need is a difficult thing to discern sometimes. Uh, and I, I'm sure that all of you have had the same experience either in your family or with your kids or, or, or something where somebody says they need something. They're in trouble. They may very well be in trouble. But being in need is, implies that they've done everything they can. And maybe there's a point where they don't know everything they can do. So you help them anyway. And you try to grow them up and teach them and work with them and show them. Uh, some people are just too lazy to work hard enough. Some people are too careless with money. They spend it on the wrong things. So they may be in need because of bad choices, foolish decisions. Okay, So it's not... It's not Christian, it's not brotherly to just give them money. You know, they, they need to grow up. They need to learn to be obedient. You know, the problem's not that they are needy. The problem is that they're disobedient to God's principles. You follow God's principles, you can get by on very little. Some of our financial peace graduates are figuring that out. They're uh, putting the pencil to the paper and figuring out, okay, we can get by on this. Okay. Uh, so I'm not saying, I'm not trying to discount this uh, to-do. I'm just saying it, that's the hard part, is deciding as Christians, as brothers and sisters, who's really in need and what we can do for you and what's the best thing for you. Uh, sometimes the best thing for somebody is, no, I can't help you on this one. 
And they got to go learn to be obedient to God's principle. But let me not be, let me end not quite so negative here. In general, the, the big picture is Christians help other Christians. When we see a need, when when something comes up, uh, a crisis of some sort, we help. And that's one reason I thought I could talk that negative way for a while is because Northside does that. Northside's very generous. Northside is very helpful to those who are in need. So we do good at that. Doesn't mean we can check it off yet. We've got to do better. But that's just one of our to-dos. All right. Separate from that, I think, is practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. Now, that doesn't mean that you've got to have somebody spend the night every night, uh, which is kind of what it meant back then. The real word just means be kind. Be kind to people. Somebody uh, is a stranger, somebody has some kind of need, be kind to people. Uh, be friendly with them. Uh, back in those days, they didn't have Motel 6s or those kind of things, so any traveler needed a place to stay. There weren't that many inns. Uh, Christians were, if they followed Paul's to-do list, they were friendlier and kinder than other people. They were more likely to give you a place to stay, to be hospitable, to be give you a meal, to be kind to you. Uh, that ought to be characteristic of Christians. Uh, now, we obviously don't have that need so much anymore. Uh, everybody can afford a Motel 6, basically, uh, if they're traveling. Uh, but we still ought to be hospitable. I think that would help. Uh, I guess one thing that would help build the church is if we did have each other in our homes more. Uh, that custom has kind of died out. I mean, it hasn't died out, but not many people, not near as many people do it anymore. Uh, I'm not very old, but I remember when any time a gospel meeting was held, uh, an essential part was putting the list up on the board so you could sign up to have the preacher for dinner. Yeah. And the preacher stayed at somebody's house. That was just the way it was done. Uh, now when I go somewhere to have a meeting, or I don't do that very often, but when I do, uh, most often, uh, they say, we've got you a room in the Days Inn down here, and uh, it's a good restaurant next door there, and we'll pick you up at 6.30 before church. Uh, it's just kind of the custom. Uh, some places do it different. Some places... Uh, do sign you up for a different family every night, uh, which is good fellowship-wise. It's bad calorically, but it's good to, good for fellowship. Uh, full-time traveling gospel preachers have a hard, hard life back in the old days. They'd be well-fed at least. Uh, so I think we ought to be more hospitable. I told you before, find another couple and... Uh, form a hospitality team, and uh, every other month one of you have another couple or two in your home. Uh, you can see you visit a lot of people in a year. Uh, the one that we've been doing, we call it Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. 
because the other couple gets to pick their couple, somebody, and we pick somebody, and we don't know till that night who's coming, generally. Uh, good way, I mean, if you do it every month, which is a little hard, there's always a month or two you miss, but if you do it 10 months a year, you, know, you meet 20 new couples. So that's a handy way to do it, but the whole idea of having people in the home is not as popular as it used to be, I don't know why. Uh, but the word doesn't just mean be hospitable, having people in your home. It means be kind. So Christians in the world, in the workplace, in the grocery store, in traffic, ought to be kinder than other people. Okay? Uh, we ought to look ahead for that cross uh, entrance to the Dillons or something and, and stop in time to let people get in and out. Just be kind. Somebody's in line with not much and you've got a whole lot, let them go in front of you. I'm pretty kind, but that irritates me when Cindy sent me to pick one thing up and I get behind somebody with two carts full and they look around at me and go right ahead. <laughs> I was like, come on, <laughs> just let me in here. But uh, we ought to be kind. We ought to be the kind that let people in uh, at work. You ought to be kind to other employees, new employees. You ought to be the one that help them, give them some tips, get them acclimated to things. Uh, yeah, you'll probably take a little heat for it, but go right ahead. Be kind. Uh, here at church, we ought to be kind. We had a lot of visitors this morning. I don't know how many of you greeted any of them, but it ought to be more than just the greeters. Be kind. Help somebody find something that they're looking for. So that's what he's talking about there. Christians ought to be kinder than the rest of the folks in the world. Uh, all right, let's tackle. Yeah, we got time for another one here. Uh, where am I? This is the hardest. There it is. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Okay, first of all, who's, who's somebody that persecutes us? I mean, we don't live in the days of Nero, so the soldiers aren't coming for us. Uh, we're not going to be forced to go to the Colosseum and fight lions, so we're not being persecuted that way. But you may have somebody in your life that just picks on you, you know, especially younger people. That, I mean, that's the big thing these days is, is bullying. Saw the other day some actress, I don't remember who she was. She's 81 years old, and she says she's being bullied. You know, okay, maybe she is, but by 81, you ought to be able to handle that, you know? I mean, come on, <laughs> get over yourself. But anyhow, bullying's big. Don't get me started on bullying. It's, uh, it's part of growing up. But um, I said don't get me started. Anyhow, bullying is a, a persecute, perhaps. Somebody that picks, and I realize there really is the cruel cruelty and all that, but it, this is somebody that picks on you somehow. In our society, it's not near as bad as what Paul was talking about. But even so, it's hard to do what he says. This is a hard to do. What he says is, people that pick on you, that people give you a hard time or even hurt you some way, bless them. Don't curse them. Okay? 
It goes back to that being kind to some degree. Uh, but bless them, don't curse them. Uh, and mainly it's, I think, speaking. Uh, I think it can be translated into doing also. Uh, but the word bless means to speak well of someone. So speak well of them. Never say bad things about them. Never say bad things to them. Don't say bad things about them. Speak well of them and do good to them. Be good, be good to them. Bless them. Don't curse them. Uh, and Jesus said something about that. That when you when you do that, it he said it heaps burning coals on their head. Uh, I think he meant that it really confuses them. It messes with their mind if you, you're good to them. Because that's not the way the world works. I remember a story I heard about Wade Boggs one time. Uh, played for the Red Sox, third baseman. And when he went to Yankee Stadium, there was one fan that sat down there by the third baseline that picked on him mercilessly. I mean, just wore him out. Just every As soon as he stepped on the field, he was on him. And just threw every obscenity and everything he could think of at Boggs, trying to get him off his game. And Boggs wasn't immune. I mean, he wouldn't, that wasn't unusual for people to pick on him. Uh, but this guy was just over the top. And it got where it was bothering Boggs, where he was kind of thinking about that guy more than he was the game. So finally he decided what he'd do, and he went out for pre-game practice, and the guy started on him. And so he just walked straight over to him and walked up to him. And he said, are you the guy that's always yelling at me? And the guy said, yeah. He said, what are you going to do about it? And Boggs had a ball, and he took it, and he took a pen out of his pocket, and he autographed the ball, tossed it to the guy, walked back on the field. The guy never yelled at him again. Boggs said, that stopped it. You see how simple that is, but how weird it is from the world's point of view? Yeah, that's what Paul says Christians ought to do. Somebody persecuting you, somebody bugging you, picking on you, whatever. Don't say bad things about them. Don't retaliate. In fact, the rest of the chapter says something about that. Uh, bless them. Say good things to them. Do good things to them. Well, believe it or not, around here and the years I've been here and the years I've spent preaching sermons, I'll get somebody bent out of shape every once in a while. Somebody will get unhappy with me. I realize it shocks you, but somebody sometimes gets offended about something and gets all pouted up and they'll stop talking to me. Well, I guess they think that's going to show me somehow. But... I mean, it affects me. I want to make sure I, you know, hadn't done anything untoward. But in general, what I do is just keep right on being nice as I can be. You know, say hi to them, smile, carry on. It, you know, doesn't fix it sometimes, but <laughs> but still, I'm doing what the to-do list says. All right, we got time for one more here. Yeah. 
Let's uh, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Uh, That seems kind of simple human instruction, doesn't it? That's what we ought to do. If somebody's having a great time, something good happened to them, we ought to rejoice with them. Somebody's mourning, something's wrong in their life, they're having a hard time, we ought to mourn with them. And uh, we've got CR and the, the, uh, the classes and all that that prepare you for that, to teach you how to do this better. I mean, we don't know how to do it sometimes, especially in the morning. Uh, when somebody's mourning, we don't know how to mourn with them, but so we ought to learn that. But uh, the point I want to make out of this one is not that it's so tricky to understand what to do. I want to ask the question, what's that require? To rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. What that requires is that you know people, that you know what's going on in their life. And obviously that's impossible for a church this size, for everybody to know everything that's going on with everybody else. But if we're to do this, rejoice with those rejoicing more, we've got to know something about people. We can't be isolated. We can't come in and sit down in our little pew and do our little thing and go home and not know anything about anybody else. Now, around here, we got some excellent helps. The prayer chain uh, will give you more people than you can rejoice and mourn with. Yeah, it, the, you just can't hard, hardly keep up with all of it, just remembering it, much less actually doing the rejoicing and mourning. But uh, those that you know better and all that, be aware of it. Do something about it. The bulletin updates you on what's going on in people's lives and who's shut in and all of that. If you go to Sunday school class, adult classes, you'll learn about your classmates. Yeah? You, you learn about your peers and what they're going through and will give you a much better chance of rejoicing and mourning with those. You've got to, you've got to learn how to do that. But I think the main key is that we've got to know about other people and uh, be looking for that opportunity to rejoice and mourn. All right, I think that's all we'll tackle today and the rest of chapter 12 you can finish on your own and we've got an open Sunday night sometime. We might tackle the rest of them, but thank you for your attention on these anyway and we'll be back to our series next week. If you're here this evening and need to respond to the Lord's invitation, we'd be happy to help you with whatever you need. Let's stand and sing this song. If you need to come, come.